There have been many claims in the last week that scientists will be discovering exactly how the universe was created. Well, the wonderful thing about being a Christian is you can just read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 to work out how the universe was created. And the Bible doesn't cost five billion pounds. <laughs> and even a young child can read uh, those pages. Now, the first two chapters of Genesis give a profound insight into how God created the heavens and the earth. Actually, it's not just Genesis chapter 1 and 2. There are other important verses in Proverbs, in Psalms, in uh, Job, and in Isaiah that give additional wonderful insight into how God uh, created the world. In this lecture, I will particularly discuss how Genesis 1, 2, and these other verses reveal the attributes of God as the creator. <clears throat> if you were to observe an engineer designing and building a machine like a motor car, you would observe his attributes, like his skill. And in the same way, as you read the creation accounts, you observe the attributes of God, particularly his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. After discussing these attributes, I will briefly address two other issues that are of interest to scientists. Uh, when I was a, a, a rugby playing boy, I was never very good at the sidestep. And uh, I'm still not good at the sidestep, so I won't sidestep the issue of the age of the Earth. And uh, I will also very briefly address the question of extraterrestrial life. So, firstly, we will consider the power of God in the creation week. Now, one obvious way in which we see uh, God's power is the way he made the universe out of nothing. Genesis 1 verse 1 explains that God created Three things, time, space, and matter, out of nothing, in the beginning, i.e. the creation of time. God created the heavens, i.e. space, and the earth, i.e. matter. Now, a scientist knows that this act of creation, ex nihilo, must have been supernatural, because there is a scientific law called the first law of thermodynamics, which actually says, that it is impossible to create something out of nothing. It's interesting here that a scientist is able to uh, explain why something is a miracle or not when it contradicts a known law of science. According to this first law of thermodynamics, the very existence of the universe proves that there is a creator. A second and more subtle supernatural act that a scientist observes in Genesis 1-2 is the creation of order. Genesis explains how the universe gradually became ordered during the first few days of creation. On day one, the earth was without form and lacked order. But by the end of day three, the earth was perfectly formed with land, sea and atmosphere. By the end of day four, the whole universe was ordered with clockwork motion. Now a scientist uh, knows that it takes supernatural power to create such order because there is a second scientific law, uh, conveniently the second law of thermodynamics, 
that states that everything tends to disorder unless there is an external organising force like a creator. One of the most common ways engineers create order is by separating and purifying. So, for example, engineers will create petrol by firstly getting crude oil and then separating and purifying. Interestingly, you see this separation happening on each of the first three days of creation in the Genesis account. On day one, light was separated from darkness. On day two, the waters were separated from the waters above and the waters below. On day three, even on day three, the watery mixture that had been covering the earth from day one was separated into clear water and firm land. So these examples of separation on the first three days of creation represent specific examples of God bringing order and design to the universe. These acts of separation at the very beginning of creation also point forward to the events that will happen at the end of the age when God will separate all people into two groups, those who have believed the gospel and those who have not. Having commented on the supernatural acts, uh, I should add that there is nothing unscientific about believing in a creator or the existence of supernatural power. Indeed, the logical outcome of the laws of thermodynamics is that there is a creator with supernatural power. Not surprisingly, great scientists like Newton, Faraday, Calvin, Maxwell, all believe in a creator. But sadly, much of modern science, much of the modern scientific community has ruled that miracles, such as supernatural creation, are impossible and anti-science. This is the message you get from the media at the moment. Ironically, such sweeping assumptions are unjustified and therefore actually anti-science, because science should be open-minded. If Isaac Newton was here today, he would be dismayed. Uh, he would be astonished and dismayed at the bias and prejudice of most, not all, but most of the scientific community. I think we have to be very cautious about the insight that science gives us today because science has a hidden agenda. Some of science has a hidden agenda to attack God, to attack the Bible, and therefore we have to be very uh, cautious today. Coming back to God's power, God's power is also demonstrated in the way that he created the universe, with speed and with ease. Psalm 33, verse 6, describes how it only took God's breath to create a universe of stars. To speak is a very easy thing. That's how easy it was for God to create. Psalm 33, verse 9, describes how God commanded the stars to appear. At one moment, there were no stars. At the next moment, the stars appeared at the command of God. Psalm 8, verse 3, describes how God made the stars with his fingers, not with his right arm, with his fingers. Even though these are metaphorical pictures, they still reveal the ease with which God created the heavens and the power which God clearly has. 
God's power is also seen in Job, chapter 26, verse 7, where we read that God hangs the earth on nothing. This is a remarkable verse to a scientist, because only in modern times has man directly observed that the earth literally hangs on nothing. Now, atheists uh, argue that the earth actually hangs onto the sun by the force of gravity. However, uh, I've had many discussions about gravity with my physics colleagues at Bristol. Gravity is itself a miraculous force uh, which baffles scientists. Gravity is a completely invisible force which appears to act remotely with no physical <laughs> interactions. So, that verse is correct. God hangs the earth on nothing. God's power is also shown in Genesis 1, verse 16, where we read, He made the stars also. Creating stars was so easy for God that they were simply referred to as an extra feature of creation after the earth. The phrase, He made the stars also, makes sense, because the earth is man's home, and therefore the most important place in the universe. After an engineer has built uh, a house, he will sometimes say that he built the garden also, because the house is the home and the gardens are just the surrounding area to the home. In a similar way, the earth is centre stage of the universe and the stars are merely the surrounding area to that special centre stage place. So the creation account clearly reveals God's power. No wonder Romans 1.20 says that the creation reveals God's eternal power. Now a second observation about the creation account is that it reveals a skilled creator. Creative skill is an important attribute of a creator. Engineers typically study for four years uh, in order to gain the skills necessary to design and manufacture products. Design requires great skill because it involves inventing complex solutions that have never existed before. Design requires skill because every component of a new system must be designed exactly right for the system uh, to work properly. In my department at uh, Bristol University, we now demand three A's for applicants. And even those students with three A's or four A's or five A's at A-level, even they often struggle to design after four years of training. Designing is a very deceptively difficult thing to do. One example of God's skill is seen in the word set. Uh, in Genesis 1, verse 17, it says, God set the stars in place. An engineer immediately understands from this uh, phrase that the stars are not randomly placed, but just like these lights in this hall, they are set exactly in the place that God wants them to be. Interestingly, modern astronomy has found uh, that the stars are indeed remarkably well placed for the Earth. The stars in, in our galaxy are far enough away to give a beautiful black night, but they're not so far away that you can't see the constellations clearly. 
the galaxies, other galaxies, are not so far away that you can't see them. But they're close, uh, and, but they're, and they're not so close that they spoil the view of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. They're just at the right distance. There are gas clouds, beautiful gas clouds, uh, giving beautiful colours in the Milky Way galaxy, not so far away that you can't see them, but not so close that they spoil the night sky. And countless other details could be quoted to show that the Earth has a wonderful privileged position. Astronomers say it's an almighty uh, coincidence, but Christians know it's an almighty providence. Another example of God's skill is seen in the phrase, he drew a circle on the face of the deep, which is found in Proverbs 8, verse 27. The phrase seems to refer to God marking out the diameter of the earth on the first day of creation, in a similar way in which an engineer will use a compass to draw a circle on a design drawing. Modern studies have shown the diameter of the earth to be remarkably well designed for life and for man. The diameter is just right for creating the right amount of gravity for many of the processes that occur on the earth, physical, biological processes. But not only that, the amount of gravity is just right for animal and human movement and locomotion. If the earth were much bigger, gravity would be much bigger and we would feel very heavy and we would get very, very tired uh, indeed. But on the other hand, if the earth were much smaller, then we would uh, not have a firm grip hold. We'd be bouncing around like those astronauts on the moon a few decades ago. So the earth is just the right diameter, perfect diameter for life. And not only that, but the earth is also not too undulating. If you look at other planets like Mars or Saturn, uh, they have very undulating uh, surfaces with very high mountains and on the earth if we had that we would have very severe weather but the earth is remarkably flat on its surface these uh, observations show that when God marked out the diameter of the earth he got that diameter absolutely perfect another mention of God's uh, skill is found in Job 38 verses 4 to 6 where we read that God laid the foundations of the earth and God determined its measurements. These terms, uh, laid the foundations and measurements, these are the language of a thoughtful and calculating craftsman and engineer. The earth is not the product of random evolution, but the result of the careful design of a creator. The Bible speaks the language of a builder, craftsman, creator. In fact, in Proverbs 8, verse 30, we read that there was a master craftsman during the creation of the earth. Some take the, the term to refer to the Lord Jesus. Others, that the term simply refers to God's wisdom. But whichever interpretation is taken, God is a master craftsman. In the same way that a house builder is a skilled craftsman, so God is a skilled master craftsman. The order of creation also shows God's wisdom uh, in the way that there is consistency between 
the formation of the universe and the earth in days 1 to 3 and the filling of the universe and the earth in days 4 to 6. In fact, we've heard about this already in the previous talks. On day 1, the space of the universe was made, but on day 4, the universe was filled with stars. On day 2, the sea and the sky were made. On day 5, they were filled with creatures. On day 3, the earth was made. On day 6, the land was filled with animals. Now, this consistency uh, is, speaking as an engineer, is not an indication of poetry. It is an indication of skill. That is what an engineer does. It's, uh, it is a sign of the skill of God, not a sign that it's poetic. God is so powerful and skillful, he can even create in a beautiful, symmetrical way. Another example of God's skill is seen in the way he produced a mature and a fully functioning creation. Just speaking personally, I've had 25 years uh, experience as a practicing designer, as a a teacher of design. I've worked with some of the best designers in the world, in the United States, Europe and Japan. So I have some experience of design. I would say this is what excites me the most about the creation account. That God was so skillful that he produced a mature and fully functioning creation. Adam did not have to wait for months for trees to produce fruit. Adam did not have to wait years for starlight to reach the earth. Adam did not have to wait years uh, for other things to be ready. He could enjoy it immediately. Producing a fully functioning system is a common objective for engineers because our customers don't want to wait for a product to be ready to use. So this is exactly uh, the objective of an engineer. And it's important to realise that producing a mature, fully functioning system is a very, very, very difficult thing. Engineers struggle to do this. For example, uh, years ago, when cars were produced, Uh, a few decades ago, uh, if you bought a brand new car, you would have to drive it slowly to run the engine in. Because because engineers were not clever enough to produce a mature engine. Thanks to some of my colleagues in the last 20 years, engineers are now clever enough to produce a mature, fully functioning engine. Probably most of you can't do this, but if you buy a brand new car today, uh, you can actually drive it at full reps right from day one, because engineers have made it fully functioning, even though it's brand new. It's not mature because it's been run in in the factory. It's brand new, but the engineers have cleverly worked out how to make it mature. And God is so clever that he has made a mature, fully functioning uh, universe. And as Christians, we should marvel at God's skill in doing that. Very easy to take it for granted. And uh, later, when I address the age of the earth, I will come back to this concept, because you cannot ignore the fact that God made a mature universe when you deal with the age of the earth. But firstly, uh, a third observation about the creation account is that it reveals the goodness and the care of the creator. And again, this is an aspect that I really love about the creation account. I teach a subject at Bristol University called ergonomics, how you design 
a system to be comfortable and just right for human use. And when I look at the world, I see it's designed by the ultimate expert uh, in ergonomics. Um, and in Genesis 1 and 2, you see the goodness and care of the Creator. I think this aspect is often not fully appreciated today, perhaps because people get bogged down uh, in the age of the earth and other issues. But we see God's goodness. Um, one obvious way we see God's goodness, as we've heard, God created in six days, making the seventh day a day of rest. God wanted to help man by encouraging man to adopt this seven-day week and to help him. Uh, God went to um, the work of creating the world in six days. God's care is also seen in the way which he made fruit for man to eat. Uh, Genesis 1 tells us God's deliberate intention was to make fruit for man. Psalm 104 teaches that food was designed for man. It's very easy to take for granted uh, these things, but if you just think about the fruit that you eat for a few moments, fruit is brilliantly designed as a convenient food. Fruit has a packaging that is generally easy to remove, just a little tug with the fingers sometimes, like a banana. Fruit has a size that is generally right for a human snack. Fruit, like a banana, is firm enough to hold, yet it's soft enough to easily eat. Uh, some of the companies I work with spend hundreds of thousands of pounds designing things like chocolate to be soft to eat. It's a very difficult thing to do, and God has done it brilliantly with fruit. Fruit has the right nutrients for man. It's pleasant to taste. It's even beautiful. And fruit even has features that human designers would love to be able to emulate, but cannot. Fruits like a banana have a skin that indicates the ripeness. Your packaging from Tesco's doesn't do that. It's biodegradable. Apples and oranges uh, are 99% liquid, and yet they don't leak because they have tiny cells that hold the liquid. They don't come with a straw unlike human cartons. Last Tuesday, I visited the biggest food packaging company in the world, in Wantage, and uh, they told me they would love to package food in the way that fruit uh, is packaged. So that's God's care. God's care is also seen in the way he deliberately made the world beautiful. Did you ever notice how in Genesis 2 verse 9, how it says that God made trees that were pleasant to the sight. It wasn't a coincidence that trees were beautiful. God deliberately made trees that were pleasant to the sight. He deliberately put beauty in trees. Another way in which we see God's goodness is in the way he chose to form the earth over three days. God could have created a fully functioning earth just in an instant. He could have spoken it into existence in the way he spoke the stars into existence, but he chose to gradually form the earth to show that the earth is a special place, the centre stage of the universe. It's interesting that Genesis describes how the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. This reminds me how a house builder or an engineer will often linger around a house. Uh, during its construction to review progress 
to anticipate the next phase. It's also interesting that Isaiah says that God forms the earth to be inhabited. This statement shows that God had a clear purpose uh, in building a home for man when he made the earth. Then another way in which we see God's goodness is the way in which God forms man from the dust of the ground. Whereas God spoke the creatures into existence, he chose to gradually form man. John Calvin says this in his Genesis commentary, God designed to distinguish man by some mark of excellence from brute animals. For these arose out of the earth in a moment, but the peculiar dignity of man is shown in this, that he was gradually formed. God's personal forming of man gives us a reminder of God's love for man. When a mother prepares a birthday party for her young child, uh, she will often buy many things. But as I've seen uh, with my, my wife, she will often choose to personally make the birthday cake herself, even though it's very easy to just buy one from the supermarket. A mother enjoys spending time forming the cake with her hands, because it's a special present. In a similar way, God chose to personally form man. Another way in which we see God's goodness is in the way he was concerned whether Adam had an appropriate companion. It's interesting how Genesis records God reviewing the animals and that he found none were comparable to Adam. Not that... Uh, the animals we have today aren't to be our companions. Horses and dogs, they are to be our companions. But none was comparable with Adam. This reminds me how an architect will review a house design, uh, even during its construction, in order to determine, to determine whether everything is just right for the occupant. In a similar way, God wanted Adam to have a companion that was just right for him, so God made Eve for Adam. Another way in which we see God's goodness, I think, is the order of creation. In particular, the way that the earth was made in the first three days and the stars on the fourth day, I think, shows God's care and God's genius. Some people find it strange that the stars were made after the earth, as we heard, I think, from Oregon. However, to an engineer and to me, the order of creation is absolutely perfect. Uh, let, let me illustrate this by example. If an engineer was to cut a very large and rare stone, a diamond, that engineer, uh, as they often do in countries like South Africa, the engineer would use his work light uh, to shine on that diamond, to cut it. And then when the diamond is finished, and very beautiful, he will then put it in a display case. And he will then, for the first time, shine spotlight onto that precious jewel. The spotlights always come after the jewel is ready. The same with a, a special house, like a palace. The house is built first. Then after the house is finished, the spotlights are designed to shine light on the earth. And in exactly the same way, it makes complete sense to me that God used his work light to make the earth in the first three days of creation. And then, when the earth was ready, then God made spotlights to shine on the earth. 
Until the fourth day of creation, the earth was a tiny object in a vast, dark universe with just a workman's light shining onto it during the day. It's amazing to think that on the fourth day, the earth was suddenly lit up by billions and billions of stars like a precious jewel in space. When the astronauts first went into space, they looked down on the earth and they described it as a beautiful, precious jewel. The Puritan Thomas Watson certainly found the order of creation uh, very logical and beautiful. Thomas Watson said this, The earth was bespangled with sun, moon and stars so that the earth's beauty might be beheld and admired. What a beautiful way of putting it. Thomas Watson was not just referring to God admiring the earth but also the angels that would have been made uh, on day one. Job 38 verse 7 describes how the angels sang for joy during the creation week. One can imagine the gasps of the angels uh, when the stars were made and the earth was lit up on the fourth day of creation. So to me, the order of creation uh, as an engineer, as a scientist, is exactly what I would expect. So in conclusion to this first uh, part on God's uh, attributes, we can see the creation account reveals God as a powerful, skilled and caring creator. The great scientist Blaise Pascal once said, God is a pure mathematician. Now I really like Pascal, so I don't want to disagree with him, but uh, however, what I would say is this. On day one, when God made the foundations of the earth, he was a civil engineer. <laughs> on day two, when God made the sea and the sky, he was an environmental engineer. On day three, when God made the land, he was a landscape engineer. On day four, when God made the stars, he was a lighting engineer. On day five, when he made the birds and the fish, he was a, an aeronautical and a marine engineer. And on day six, when he made man, he was, of course, a mechanical engineer. <laughs> <coughs> now I will briefly address the issue uh, of the age of the earth. And actually, I will t deal with two separate questions. Firstly, what is the age of Adam? And secondly, what is the age of the earth? It can be helpful to separate uh, this into two questions. And for both questions, I'll briefly uh, mention biblical and scientific arguments. So first of all, Adam. Uh, of course, Adam and Eve. From a biblical perspective, I think there's an overwhelming case for dating Adam within the last 10,000 years. The genealogies clearly show Adam came a few generations before Noah. Noah came a few generations before Abraham. And it's also clear that Adam was created, uh, as we heard earlier, uh, not from any ape or ape man, but directly from the dust of the ground. Psalm 8, verse 5 teaches that man was made to be a little lower than the angels, not a little above the beast. But how about the scientific uh, evidence for the age of Adam? From a scientific perspective, uh, I believe there's also a very strong case for dating Adam to less than 10,000 years. The fossil record supports the special creation of man because there are no undisputable fossils of ape men. 
if man had evolved from apes, one would expect to find many, many thousands of clear examples of ape men fossils. This is why there is this famous term, the missing link. And the missing link, it is, it is uh, obvious today, as it always has been in the past. Archaeological evidence provides, I think, especially compelling evidence for a young Adam from archaeological evidence. Just looking at the secular literature, it's clear that um, virtually every type of man-made technology has been invented in the last 6,000 years or so, including agriculture, planting of seeds, the wheel, pottery, writing, horse riding, all emerged in the last 6,000 years. Exactly what you'd expect if the Bible is correct. And by the way, exactly what you would not expect if man had evolved from apes. If man had evolved over millions of years, according to evolution, it took, it took several million years for man to evolve from an ape-like creature. If that had happened, you would expect at least for 100 or 200, 300,000 years, there would be very clever people around, like Leonardo da Vinci, Isaac Newton, for hundreds of thousands of years, because the brain doesn't change that fast, according to evolution. And so, according to evolution, for hundreds of thousands of years, there have been several geniuses on the earth, not able to work out that it's beneficial to plant a seed, or useful to ride a horse, uh, or beneficial to produce a wheel. And to say that has happened for hundreds of thousands of years is the most ridiculous uh, thing. Um, archaeology is a great friend of the Christian, and the emergence of technology in the last 6,000 years, and great pyramids and great structures, uh, is a great evidence for the Bible. Another evidence for special creation of man comes from the design differences between modern-day apes uh, and man. There are many physical differences. Uh, in fact, I've written a whole book on this that you can see in the back. One key difference uh, is that man is an upright, two-legged uh, creature, a biped, whereas apes are four-legged, quadrupeds. A huge difference. Many hundreds, if not thousands, of design differences just because of that one difference. And there are many other unique uh, features of human beings. Fine, skillful hands, fine skin, facial expressions, uh, showing that humans are very, very, very different to apes. Uh, in fact, the upright design of man, I think, has spiritual significance. And certainly Matthew Henry refers to this in his uh, commentary on Genesis. God has deliberately made one creature to stand on two legs. There are thousands of mammals that walk on four legs. Only one mammal that walks on two legs. And there's spiritual significance in that. Matthew Henry said, uh, it's so that we can look up to heaven, the brute beasts look down to the earth. But it's also true that God has designed man to be physically capable of subduing and stewarding creation. There's no animal that can literally stand up to man. Because no animal stands up to man, it's easy for man to subdue the animals and to steward them. There's no threatening animal that can stand up and, and uh, pick a fight with man. So there is very strong evidence for a, a young Adam. Uh, a Christian can feel very, very confident that the Bible gives a completely literal 
account of the creation of Adam and Eve. Now we come to the question of the age of the earth and the stars. Firstly, from a theological point of view and then uh, considering it from a scientific point of view. From a theological point of view, I personally favour, strongly favour, a literal six-day creation with successive 24-hour days. The reason for this uh, is that God's intention was to produce a fully functioning universe. And it makes sense to me as an engineer that he, he did not waste unnecessary time to achieve that. Uh, whenever I see myself or my colleagues designing something, uh, if you have a, a, an aim in mind, you produce something as quickly as you can. You don't unnecessarily delay things. And given that God is infinite in power, it would have been easy for him to create in six literal days. Of course, a young earth raises uh, difficult questions, such as how distant starlight could get to the earth in the same day in which the stars were made. However, uh, I believe there are reasonable um, answers to these questions, if you need answers. Um, In my book, He Made the Stars Also, I describe how God could easily have sped up starlight in order to reach the earth just in an instant. And also, in such a way that distance events like supernova did actually happen. Um, If that's a problem for you, then uh, see how I explain that in in the book, if you have that very detailed um, objection. The fact that the Bible describes how God stretched out the heavens like a curtain, uh, to me, seems to imply a, a kind of speeding up during the creation week in Psalm 104. Another important theological issue is that there cannot have been death and disease before the fall as we heard earlier because the creation was judged to be very good at the end of day 6 and I believe this completely rules out any kind of theistic uh, evolution it doesn't necessarily rule out uh, a long age of the earth but it does certainly rule out any kind of theistic evolution and a young universe uh, a literal interpretation I think is inherently compatible with principles like no death before the fall. Now we come to the question of the age of the earth from a scientific perspective. There are many scientists who claim that there is uh, great evidence for an old universe. There are also scientists who claim there's great evidence for a young universe. Uh, But there's a problem with both of these claims. And the problem is this. You cannot scientifically measure something which has been made in a miraculous, supernatural way. It's like going into a room and seeing a candle burning. You do not know what the height of that candle was at the beginning. Therefore, you don't know if that candle was burning for one day or a million days. Let me illustrate this by example. uh, Another example. If a scientist inspected the engine of a brand new car he would notice the engine had the appearance of age, even though it was absolutely brand new. If a scientist observed the trees in the Garden of Eden, they would have the appearance of age. If a scientist observed the stars in the creation week, they would have the appearance of age. By the way, when the Lord Jesus turned water into wine, it was good wine. It was wine with the appearance of age. So it is not possible to directly measure the age of something that has been miraculously created 
in a, in a mature state. And there's even more problems. Another problem with dating is that it is impossible to take into account the detailed purposes of the creator. Let me take uh, radioactive decay of uranium into lead as an example. Scientists today commonly assume that the Earth initially only had uranium and that all of the lead that exists today has come from uranium. By making this assumption, the age of the Earth can be determined from the current ratio of uranium to lead by taking into account how fast the change takes place. But there is a big problem uh, with that. It doesn't take into account the fact that God, I think, would have put both uranium and lead into the Earth in the first place because God knew that man needed uranium and lead. That's the purpose of the Creator. You see, this is a problem with science. Science often ignores purpose. Um, engineers can see this problem. An engineer always looks for purpose. And if God's purpose was to give man materials, to give him uranium and to give him lead, uh, then that is why you can't just look at the ratio of uranium and lead today. Technology would have been very difficult without lead for the last uh, 10,000 years. So science has a limited ability to measure the age of the Earth. And I think uh, the best way, perhaps the only way, to determine the age of the Earth is by interpreting Genesis 1 to do to 2. As I said earlier, I personally favour a young Earth uh, interpretation just one last point on the age of the earth some people have claimed that if God made a mature universe uh, with the appearance of age then he is guilty of deception you, you might have heard this but th this is uh, to an engineer this is the most ridiculous objection uh, because a mature creation is something that reflects the skill and power and wisdom of a creator it's not an act of deception imagine a scientist going up to an engineer accusing him of deception because he just looked at the engine in a brand new car and he thought it was old uh, the engineer would be very bemused the engineer would say well I'm just trying to help people by making a mature engine I wasn't trying to deceive anyone to make them think it was an old engine and so with God God is simply trying to help man by producing a mature fully functioning creation he's not trying to deceive us with age he didn't know we would have that objection or he did, but uh, he can't distort his old processes to take into account an objection that man would have later. But now I will very briefly discuss the question of extraterrestrial life. Uh, this question is important because the world now puts great effort, uh, both financial and emotional, into searching for extraterrestrial life. And this search has become uh, a false religion with people especially in the United States, it will come here later. Uh, many people hope that this search for extraterrestrial life will bring meaning and even salvation to the human race. I personally believe the Bible is very clear that there is no life uh, apart from angels, extraterrestrial life. There's no physical extraterrestrial life on other planets. Um, half of my book, He Made the Stars Also, is devoted to that whole question, because I think it's very important today. A lot of people raise this question. Just in summary, I think the reasons why the Bible teaches there is no extraterrestrial life are the following. Firstly, 
The main purpose of the stars is to serve the earth and man. The stars were made to shine light on the earth and to be for signs and seasons. The stars were not made to support uh, extraterrestrial life. Secondly, the earth was made in three days, the stars only in one day, showing the earth is a special place in the universe. Thirdly, God so loved the world, not just a world. Fourthly, the whole universe was affected by the fall of man. Hebrews mentions how the stars waxed old. This would be unfair if there was extraterrestrial life elsewhere. Fifthly, Jesus came in the image of a man and has not taken on the image of any other extraterrestrial life. And sixthly, the whole universe will one day be rolled up like a scroll when God's work is finished. Uh, again, showing that the earth is centre stage of the universe. But now I want to conclude uh, the talk. I want to come back briefly to my main point about God's goodness in creation. I hope this is an encouraging point. God's goodness is shown in the way that he fills a universe with many stars. A typical star is over a million kilometres in diameter. Uh, that's a lot of energy, a lot of power. If God had made just one star, uh, he would have been kind to man. If God had made a thousand stars, that would have been very kind towards man. But God actually made more than a billion billion stars to shine light on the earth. A billion billion is a big number. If you said a billion, you'd have to say it a billion times to get a billion billion. This vast number of stars reveals the amazing, abundant goodness of God. God's character is to give man far more than he deserves. God has this overflowing generosity that is impossible to comprehend. God wanted to give and give and give us stars. Adam could have spent millions of years studying millions of beautiful stars in the sky if he hadn't fallen. There's a great irony today that some people argue that the vast number of stars shows that there can't be a God. They are effectively arguing that it is impossible that God could be so kind uh, as to give so many stars. Therefore, there can't be a God. What, what an irony that God's greatness and kindness is used as an evidence against him. It doesn't fit people's definition of God. Uh, that's one of the problems today. People don't have the right definition of God. God is uh, so abundant and good. The abundant goodness of God in creation is a reminder of God's abundant goodness towards man. In salvation, the Lord Jesus has paid the price for billions and billions of sins. Going back to Psalm 33, finally. Psalm 33, verse 8, tells us what our response should be. Whenever we think about Genesis, we should think about our response. Well, it tells us what our response should be. The psalmist says, Let all the earth, all the earth, Fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. Why? Because he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. We live in an age today, sadly, when there is not enough fear of God. Even in the church today, there is not enough fear, sometimes enough fear of God. The study of creation 
and the knowledge of God as creator can be a means of nurturing a healthy fear of God the creator.